Welcome to Crossview Radio, weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. Well, I would like to uh, begin a new podcast series today on the topic of repentance. And uh, I've been uh, planning on preaching this topic at church here in the near future. And uh, I think, uh, Lord willing, that'll take place mid-January. But uh, as I prepare for that, wanted to um, maybe give some just preliminary thoughts uh, and uh, and things uh, as we uh, as I prepare for that. So, uh, also, uh, it might provide an opportunity for uh, if there are questions, um, particularly folks in our church, uh, you're welcome to uh, ask questions to prepare for the series that I'll be preaching on, uh, but really for anyone, uh, always welcome to get in touch with me um, and uh, and ask any questions uh, that you have. So, um, so uh, let's uh, let's get started here. I don't plan on the series being very long, uh, probably two, three, four podcasts, um, but we'll kind of see what direction uh, it goes. So, I'd like to begin by really starting off with the importance of this topic. And I realize that we live in a world where we'd probably much rather hear more devotional type topics or something that we think has maybe more cultural relevance, which I would suggest this does. Um, But we do have to understand that the topic of repentance is central to the Christian life. And uh, in fact, the first recorded sermon that we have of Jesus Christ was a simple statement that was... uh, Uh, comprised of two imperative verbs. He simply said, uh, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Two commands, repent and believe. And so essential is uh, repentance to Christ's offer of eternal life that he says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so repentance is standing in between us and life. Uh, We need repentance in order to know Christ, but repentance has been distorted today to mean something that it was never intended to mean. And uh, so what I would like to do is hit on two distortions of repentance and then conclude today with the importance of studying this topic. So the first one uh, has... Uh, impact worldwide, but it also has uh, impact here uh, for us in Wayne County. Um, We do live here in a very uh, uh, Arminian uh, Anabaptist culture, and what comes with the territory is a tendency to view repentance as primarily an act of man. Um, Thomas uh, Odin is the author of a systematic theology called life in the spirit. He was a Methodist, um, and uh, he wrote uh, this regarding repentance. He said, uh, quote, were it strictly a matter of the spirit overpowering the human will, then there would be no call to any duty of repentance. As in scripture, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out as times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Such an appeal assumes that the hearer may or may not decide to repent, end quote. So what uh, he believes is that uh, the divine command to repentance presumes human ability. So what he's saying is this, if you have a command in the Bible, then it automatically means that you 
uh, are able to obey it on your own. So if God says, do not lie, then you can do that on your own. If God says, do not steal, then you can do that. If God says, repent, then you can do that too. And I do want to bring uh, this topic up, but I'm not actually going to fully address the answer to this today because I would like to devote a whole podcast episode to this topic. But I will say, maybe just as a way of a teaser here, is that we need to understand as we look at this idea of uh, if God gives a command in the Bible, are we able by default to obey it? Does that presume human ability? Um, Jeremiah 13, 23 needs to be taken into account, which says this, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. And so we have to understand what this verse means in the context of all of the commands to obedience, including uh, repentance. So, We will hit a little bit, Lord willing, on that more later, but I do want to go to the second distortion, briefly, of repentance, and we need to avoid, uh, for this second distortion, what I'm going to call uh, weaponized repentance. Um, This has little to do with actual repentance and more to do with accusing your neighbor of wrongdoing. So it's not really repentance. It it goes by the name repentance, but it's, it's going to be weaponized repentance. Um, C.S. Lewis, in his book, God in the Dock, wrote a chapter entitled, Dangers of National Repentance. Um, I actually do hope one day uh, to do uh, a little bit more uh, justice to uh, Lewis's article here, or his chapter, uh, when I do a podcast series, Lord willing, on social justice in the gospel. Uh, but but I want to deal with it maybe in just nutshell form uh, for now. Uh, I'm going to quote a couple of sections from his chapter entitled The Dangers of National Repentance. So probably as we're thinking about this, we're, we're thinking what could be dangerous about repentance. But think of it in terms of what I called it earlier, um, weaponized repentance. So this is what Lewis writes. <clears throat> he writes about the young people in England during World War II, he says, quote, They are ready to believe that England bears part of the guilt for the present war and ready to admit their own share in the guilt of England. What that share is, I do not find it easy to determine. Most of these young men were children, and none of them had a vote or the experience which would enable them to use a vote wisely when England made many of those decisions to which the present disorders could plausibly be traced. Are they perhaps repenting what they have in no sense done? End quote. So Lewis is saying during this time, there's young people in England, they're believing themselves to be accountable for actions that they had never taken. They, they were not participating in these actions, and yet they're holding themselves accountable. They were repenting over things they had never done. Lewis writes that to repent for the actions of the British government when you had no impact or vote or say in that was actually uh, to repent, quote-unquote, for the sins of your neighbor since it was your neighbor uh, who did those things and not you. So when you are, quote-unquote, repenting over something that you did not do, you are, quote-unquote, repenting over something that somebody else has done, your neighbor. And so in this context, in in the chapter, Lewis then writes this, quote, 
The first and fatal charm of national repentance is, therefore, the encouragement it gives us to turn from the bitter task of repenting of our own sins to the congenial one of bewailing, but first denouncing the conduct of others, end quote. So what Lewis is observing is that people are repenting over the sins of others. And what he's saying, and I think he's right on this, is that it is convenient to repent over the sins of others because you don't have to repent over your own actual sins that you've really committed. Lewis goes on to, to acknowledge this and says this, quote, A group of such young penitents will say, Let us repent of our national sins. What they mean is, let us attribute to our neighbor in the cabinet whatever we disagree with him, every abominable motive that Satan can suggest to our fancy, end quote. So what he's saying is when you are repenting, when these young people were repenting over national sins, they were attributing evil motives to their neighbors because who was it that did these things? It was the neighbors, not them. Uh, They didn't have a say in what happened. The neighbors had a say in what happened. And so now they are attributing wrongdoing to their neighbors, including uh, the motives, which, of course, we know we're not able to see the motives of people. So I'm calling this weaponized repentance. Um, we might say that this kind of repentance, and it's not really repentance at all, but we might say that this kind of repentance is is not contrition or sorrow for my sin, but it's it's accusatory in nature. It's by default looking to condemn others. It's judgment on your neighbor veiled in a feigned sincerity and a feigned humility. Now, there is a modern day equivalent to this. Um, in fact, we could probably list a lot of those modern day equivalents. And again, Lord willing, I hope to unpack this a little bit more in a future podcast series. Um, but the modern day equivalent to this, to what Lewis is talking about, uh, at least the main way I see this taking place, is when you have someone who is never involved in slavery or any kind of ethnic partiality. So you have people uh, who have been born, young people today, who have never taken place, never taken part in any of these kinds of behaviors, and yet they are the ones who are, quote-unquote, repenting for their inherent racism. Um, I, I think Lewis would say, and I, I, just, I guess we don't know where Lewis would land on this issue, but um, to, to take a quote from his, his chapter— he would say, quote, you are asking them not to mortify, but to indulge their ruling passion. And so someone who repents over this uh, inherent racism, someone who has never engaged in these kinds of actions, and yet they're repenting over them, are actually accusing their neighbor uh, because what happens is when you, uh, quote unquote, repent over this, your neighbor who kind of uh, stumbles upon the scene and says, I haven't done anything like this. Are they saying that I'm guilty? There's actually a, a subtle jab that you should repent too, even though you've done nothing. And there actually is a, um, uh, a certain um, 
attribution of guilt that's going on in this particular situation. All of this is to say this, that we need to repent from our actual sins, not the sins of others. To repent from the sins of others is not to repent at all, but to accuse our neighbor and to feign our own sincerity. It is actually a very wicked sin to ascribe something to our neighbor that isn't true. And so to review here where we have been, the first distortion of repentance that we want to be on the lookout for is the distortion that tells me I can repent on my own. I don't need grace for that. That's the first distortion. The second distortion of repentance is what I'm calling weaponized repentance, where we repent over the sins of others in order to avoid repenting over the things I really do need to repent over, and in order to accuse my neighbor while feigning my own sincerity. Those are the two distortions um, that we're talking about here. And if those two distortions are not reason enough to study the topic of repentance, I want to give us three more reasons. Reason number one, understanding God's gift of repentance expands our worship. When we understand that God overcomes our natural resistance, that will automatically result in increased worship to God. Uh, Following a discussion on how God's calling is irrevocable, the Apostle Paul bursts into praise when he writes, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Second, a correct understanding of biblical repentance also cuts off human boasting. God is at work humbling human pride and elevating divine glory. This is why salvation is a gift because it removes every opportunity for one to boast in their own accomplishments. And then a third reason here to study the topic of repentance is because understanding biblical repentance enhances our confidence in prayer and missions. If we truly believe that God has an influence over whether a person repents, then we can pray for God to exercise that influence. If, however, we believe that repentance is ultimately up to the individual— Prayer becomes pointless pointless, since God is not going to influence people to go against their sinful will. So we have to decide what it is. Is repentance, uh, as we'll argue later, a gift from God? And thus, I can pray that God would exercise that influence of giving the gift. Or is, pray, or is repentance ultimately up to me, and therefore prayer is simply pointless? And so, Lord willing, uh, we'll continue this study next week. We'll have a definition of repentance and uh, continue our study then. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossvieworville.com. 